We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithanee.org.au. Every now and then, actually more often than I'd like to admit, I find myself saying to God, that's not fair. I've looked at my circumstance, I've looked at other people's circumstances around me and I made a judgment on how I think things should go, determined on my wisdom. Things aren't fair. And I've let God know, it's not fair. You could do something about it if you wanted to. Why don't you? Habakkuk is one of the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament, written about 600 BC. And one of the messages that Habakkuk has to share with Israel is not good news at all. In fact, the news is, is that God's gonna destroy them. Now Habakkuk, he's not so worried about that particular piece of news because it's the, the truth, they're ratbags. They've been ratbags for generations. They, des- they deserve a smack on the backside. But what Habakkuk is really disappointed with God about is that he wants to use Babylonia to come through and wipe out Israel. And in Habakkuk's wisdom, Babylonia is far worse than Israel. Israel should be the ones wiping out Babylonia, not Babylonia wiping out Israel. And so Habakkuk says, that's not fair. And in fact, he even takes it a step further. He says, you know what, I've actually got some evidence. I'm gonna take you to court, God. I've got evidence to support the fact that you are not playing fair and I'm going to prove it. Now that's gutsy. But I reckon so many, so many of us feel the same at times. If we could just take God to court, many of us would have enough evidence to prove that He's not playing fair. The truth is, at some point, we might think that our Christian experience from conversion all the way through should always be up and to the right. The shares should always be going up. And even if there's a little dip, it's not supposed to go for long. The shares aren't supposed to bottom out. Certainly not for a prolonged period of time. It's always supposed to come up and keep going up and to the right. Otherwise, what we do is we hit a faith crisis. It's not fair. Doesn't make sense. So what can we do when our faith hits a crisis or in that dip moment? Habakkuk has a few ideas. And this is his first idea when we enter chapter two. He tells us in the middle of this disappointment with God, this is what he's going to do. Habakkuk 2.1. I'm gonna stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. And I'm gonna look to see what he will say to me. What answer am I to give this complaint? Basically, Habakkuk says, I'm gonna climb up on the city wall and I'm gonna sit out there and I'm gonna look. I'm gonna use all my senses. I'm gonna look and see and listen to what God's got to say about what I've got to say about Him. Now, when I'm on the wall waiting for God to speak about something, I'm often desperate to hear from Him about direction and destination and outcome. 
That's what I wanna hear from Him. I desire the security of the when and the where. And when I know the when and the where, then I can muster up the faith to keep taking steps forward. But in my experience, if I were to read over my journal entries over the years, more often than not, God doesn't speak to me about the when and the where. He speaks to me about the who. Who I'm supposed to be on the journey more than where I'm going. As you um, reflect in your journal entries, I just wonder what are the themes over the years that God has put into your spirit? Is it where? Is it when? Is it dates? Or is it who? Who you are and who He is. I was going through my journal the other day and I came across my journal entry from about uh, August 19th, actually, August 19th, 2019. And it was at the time where I started going to a counsellor three years ago to start to work through my bits and pieces. And I remember going to the counsellor wanting to know the destination. How do I get to where I'm going? Where is God taking me? Where's the direction in my life? But I remember this retreat, I took a day retreat up in Mapleton. I found the most remote little spot off the track I could find on a cliff's edge looking out into a valley. And right in front of me was this tree. It's the one in the middle, the big one in the middle. And as I sat and looked at that tree, I looked and I listened. This is what I feel God put in my spirit as I wrote in my journal. Let me share it with you. As you look up the trunk, you can see throughout its life, it's endured so many dramatic events. There's a limb that is nobbled, fell off probably 30 years ago. The tree has healed itself, covered itself over where the limb broke off. You can tell there was a limb there. Something is missing that was once there. There's a scar to prove it. But the tree kept growing regardless. It now just has a bump to show it happened. I'm sure though it doesn't affect the tree at all now. A few years later, a branch got diseased, maybe struck by lightning. It fell to the ground and what's left is a weathered part limb jutting out from the tree. The tree didn't heal as well from this one. The part branch is still exposed, the open limb allowing animals, creatures to come and go, to go beyond the surface of the trunk into the deeper inside. Exposed, I guess, is the word. It's interesting that at this point in the tree's life, the trunk bent slightly into a different direction. The path straight up it thought it would take didn't eventuate. Beyond it, though, it remained strong and healthy. Must have hurt at the time, though. Then, as the years passed, smaller events must have happened. Nothing significant, but still the battle scars are there. Dying limbs, open scars. Yet for all these events, battles and experiences, the tree has endured for 50, 60 years. It still stands strong, resilient, reaching as high as any other tree around it. Its leaves at the top claiming just as much of the sun as any other as it stretches out to find that which gives life. 
there's another tree not 20 meters away that isn't that hasn't borne the season of life as well probably birthed at about the same time yet now only a dead hollow shell remains no life no influence no reaching up to touch the sunlight am I where I expected to be if I were a tree and someone was to take a photo of me what kind of trunk did I expect them to take a snapshot of what did I expect them to write about my trunk Oh, that tree over there, straight, perfect in every way. Not a scratch or a battle scar on it. It's can it be perfect? It reaches higher than any other tree in the bush. How glorious a tree. Hmm. Would I have liked that to have been my story? Sure. But in order to have it, I would have had to rewrite 30 or 40 years of my life. I'm where I am because of my past. Years and years of story writing has come to this chapter. I can't rewrite earlier chapters, but I can write my next ones. So what if my trunk has a few knobbly bits and some branches fell off? Maybe my trunk isn't as straight and as tall as others. Should I look across the bush floor and feel jealous of others? Or can I stand tall and strong? Stronger in fact because of the knobbly bits of which I've had to endure and overcome. And having overcome, I can still reach as tall and enjoy just as much sunlight as any other tree in the bush. And now, having scars and maybe an open wound or two, others can find refuge alongside me knowing I get it. The scars don't define me, but they have shaped me and with God's strength, shaped me into a person that stands tall and strong, playing my important part in the ecosystem of the kingdom of God. That was a significant moment for me on the city wall. As I sat and I watched and I listened and there was nothing in there about destination There's nothing in there about the where or the when. It's all about who I am on the journey. So when you're in the dip and things don't seem fair, sit and listen. And attune not just to what your heart wants, which is where am I going? How is this gonna end? But who are you asking me to be in the midst of it? And who are you, God, in the midst of my dip? Habakkuk gives another thing we can do as God replies to Habakkuk. Write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that someone can run with it and share it with everybody else. Whatever you hear, write it down. Write it down somewhere. As humans, we're such forgetful creatures. We don't tend to forget the event or how we felt, but we do tend to forget what God did or what God whispered in the middle of the event. Our minds and our hearts when under pressure err towards fear and doubt and worry and control. They're our go-tos rather than faith and hope and trust and resilience and patience. And when it's a prolonged dip that seems to go for a long time, When we're thinking back, what did God do in the past that I can hold on to now? Our hearts deceive us. But God says to Habakkuk, write it down. Write it down so you don't forget. Write it down so it becomes a source of strength and encouragement. 
Write it down so your heart doesn't deceive you. Write it down so the enemy who loves to plant seeds of doubt and hopelessness can't steal the truth from you. Write it down. Over the years, these are some of the sentences that I've written down that God's whispered to me. God called you, He chose you, He anointed you. You have all you need for the season you're in right now. I've held on to that many a time. You're anointed to be someone else. You're not anointed to be someone else. You're anointed to be you. Don't try and be someone else. Love that one. I remember that one. I'm calling you son to lead in a fatherly way. Don't doubt the anointing that is upon your life. God wants to reveal who you are, so don't hide it. AB, your job is to focus only on obeying me. I'm powerful enough to take care of the rest. Ask me whether or not shoes or bare feet is better. AB, I'm trying to give you bare feet. Stop fighting me. AB, get rid of the idea that it must be hard to be effective because my yoke is easy. Like my journal entry, I've reflected on those many a time. I've got them on a A4 piece of paper tucked away in my files and I pull them out from time to time to remind me, God, what did you say back then? Because I forget. And I've got pages of these that I encourage myself with when sometimes I forget who I am or what God's called me to. And they help me bat away the enemy's schemes when he wants to come away and steal the truth. Remember Garden of Eden, all Satan had to do was lean up against Adam and Eve and go, did God really say that? And like Adam and Eve, we might be tempted to capitulate our faith uh, in that God whisper because Satan's whispers lead us back to the comfort of control. God's whispers lead us to the liminal, squeezy place of faith. And we don't like squeezy faithers, squeezy places. So instead we tend to err toward control because in control we can get the quick fix of, faith, of peace. When oftentimes those faith places, those faith squeeze places, the end result of peace looks so far away. We've got to be so far away to get there. But it's the one that lasts the longest compared to the instant gratification of control. It's worth writing down. Whether you get a journal on your phone or you've got a journal in hard copy, write down the God whispers. Lean in in the dip. Listen, God, what are you saying? Jot it down. Now let me give you one more thought. God goes on, he says this in verse three. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. When God promises something, you can take it to the bank. When you look through scripture again and again, you'll find example after example after example of men and women in the Scripture where God spoke something into their life about what He was going to do, how He was going to use them, and then they had to wait. They had to wait. Moses, God says, Moses, I'm gonna use you to lead the people of Israel, create a whole new nation into a promised land. Let's go. They get through the Red Sea. They get into the desert. It's only about a week or two's walk to the promised land. And how long is Moses in the desert? 40 years. 
around and around, waiting for God to fulfill the whisper. Well, Joseph, Joseph has a dream. God's going to use him. He's going to be a man of influence and leadership. His brothers throw him into a pit. They take him out. They sell him into slavery. He's in prison for a few years. All this waiting before finally God raises him up through the ranks in the leadership in Egypt and finally he has influence. But he had to wait years. Or the Apostle Paul, you know, when he was, uh, he had that revelation from God. Uh, He was a Christian killer before that. God transformed his heart. He gets a sense that God's gonna lead him into preaching. It's 13 years before he gets to open his iPad and preach. 13 years. That's like over 200 cat years. It's a long time for someone like the Apostle Paul. But God whispered, he listened, and then he waited. That phrase, appointed time, that God uses there means appointment. There's a time in the future that's in God's Google calendar. He is not going to miss it. He's not going to look over it. He's not going to look back and go, I missed that one. It's an appointed time. It's in his diary. Whatever he's whispered will come to fruition. You just have to wait. If you were waiting, you know, I was reflecting actually the other day, I sent my usual package off to my kids in Sydney, photos, chocolates, plasticine, whatever else gets them through. And I send it overnight. And you would expect overnight means overnight. Not with Australia Post. It means within the next few days, it'll get there. And the first like month was like, oh, frustrating. Then I just learned to wait. It will get there. And I didn't reflect it. Okay, if I was like in old school when they had the tall ships, how long would it take my package to get to Sydney from England? Four months, four months. And then if they were to respond and send me a little letter, another four months, eight months, eight months of waiting before I heard from them. And then I thought, okay, so how long does it take now by boat to get from England? 40 days. If you send it from airmail via the US, probably 10 days before it lands on your, your doorstep. But you and I are so conditioned. You know, to standing in those coals line and somebody over the loudspeaker go, uh, help in, uh, in uh, register number three, help in register number three. Need to open up a new register because we're all waiting too long. Let's get it going. Or drive through McDonald's and you hear that little bzz, 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 bzz. They're waiting longer than 90 seconds. Let's push them through. Let's make those burgers worse than we already are just so we can get them through. Or big W's, you know. We'll deliver today if you get it in by 12. I mean, we, we just are insatiable for now, for not having to wait. But I can't recall where in Scripture it says that's God's timeline. That if you're waiting too long, he's going to open up aisle three. Or there's a buzzer that reminds me, him, AB's waiting too long. God, you've got to push him through. Like God doesn't mind waiting. Yet for some reason, our joy and our satisfaction and our peace is dependent on the arrival of the thing. The faster we get it, the sooner we'll feel at peace. In God's economy, peace doesn't just come on the arrival to the destination. 
Peace comes on the journey. Peace comes in the waiting, on the wall, watching, confident that what he whispered to you and you wrote down will at some point come to fruition. You only have to wait. Listen, write it down and wait. In a moment, Phil and Kathy are gonna come up and pray over the prayers that you've been texting in. And they're gonna be all gamut of prayers. And I have no doubt that some of you who have texted in prayers, your heart's desire is that aisle three opens up. Like today's the day, right? Today's the day that your prayer is going to be answered. Today's the day the healing's going to come. The job's going to work out. The kids are going to stop being rat bags. Your spouse will cuddle you again. Your sex life will rebirth. Your finances will fix. Because we've got the top dog in the church praying today, Phil and Kath. God's got to hear their prayers. But what if even in this moment, as Phil and Kathy pray with all the faith that God's given them, what if in this moment you can lean in and just listen? God, I'm on the wall. What have you got to say even as we pray? And when you whisper, God, I'm going to write that down. And then I'm going to wait. And not just about the destination, but the journey. Because in God's economy, sometimes the journey is even more important than the destination. So Father, we just pray for Phil and Kath as they come up to pray. We just pray that you work in us, that you do speak to us, that we do hear your whisper, that you do remind us of who you are, and who you've called us to be. We trust you for this moment. In your name we pray. Amen.